Five may be the third feature film directed by Chris Rock, but in many ways, it feels like his first. Here is a film that is personal, honest, raunchy, and very, very funny. It has a lot to say about its characters and the world they inhabit, and Rock holds nothing back, as young artists dare themselves to do. The film is a day in the life of Andre Allen, celebrated stand-up comic turned movie star. His comedy films have rocketed him to stardom, but Andre wants something more. Employing all of his resources, he makes an arthouse drama about a Haitian slave uprising. Throughout Top 5, we watch him witness the film's New York rollout, while also keeping his reality star fiancé pleased in her wedding planning. To top it, he's shadowed by a New York Times journalist, played deftly by Rosario Dawson, profiling him at his career turning point. Chris Rock writes, directs, and stars in this 2014 rom-com. Rock handpicks some of the best comedic actors to round out his cast, including Cedric the Entertainer, Leslie Jones, Tracy Morgan, Jay Farrow, Michael Shea, and many, many more. As we would expect from a Chris Rock production, the film has plenty of raunch in its storytelling. But more surprising is an abundance of heart and wisdom on what it means to be yourself and what makes an honest relationship. Proving himself to be a formidable auteur, Chris Rock's top five delivers. What is your top five, Ryan? Biggie, other rappers that I don't listen to. I'm basically Jerry Seinfeld in this situation. <laughs> What's the deal with all these rappers? I very much enjoyed Jerry Seinfeld in this movie because he was like, I shouldn't be here. <laughs> uh, your baby disagrees, I think. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Jerry Jerry was there with uh, was Whoopi and who else? Um, it was Whoopi and Adam Sandler. Oh, Adam Sandler. Yeah. I don't know. I like seeing all three of those, those yeah, people. That was a, that was a good, uh, they're like, we're all super high class. So the movie we're doing this week is Chris Rock's top five. Yeah. And welcome to gentlemen's guide to rom-coms where welcome. we're going to do everything in like a weird order today. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Chris Rock wrote, directed and starred and produced and i don't know what else was this his first direction no gig? it looks like he also directed a couple other things there's one that we need to add to our list which is called i think i love my wife which looks like a oh yeah yeah no it's on it's on our list cool yeah cool uh which he did a little while ago this is his most recent effort in 2014 for well for a second directorial debut i I don't dislike his directing style. He's very good at directing. Yeah, he is. Like, I thought a lot of his camera choices were interesting. I I liked this movie more than I didn't. <laughs> that's um, good. I know that's not a ringing endorsement, <laughs> but uh, if somebody handed me like, hey, this is a comedy directed by Chris Rock, I wouldn't immediately be like, all right, excited for this. Yeah. But yeah, this movie brought a lot. Yeah, it's funny because I think I've seen Chris Rock in more PG-13 movies than R-rated movies. Mm. And he's notorious for having more R-rated stand-up stuff. Yeah. I realize it's like, why have they been trying to shoehorn Chris Rock into the PG-13 movies? Well, he's I think clearly, they're just broadening his audience. But he's clearly like at his best doing R-rated material. Yeah, that's very true. I, I mean, I think there's a, have you seen um, Grown Ups 1 or 2? Yeah, I watched Grown Ups and then I wanted to die. Yeah, well, I think I think it's 
a lot of the stuff that I think he ends up doing that is PG-13, I don't know because I don't know Chris Rock, but it seems like he does it with friends because it's a paycheck and he gets to hang mm-hmm. out with his friends. Speaking yeah. of Grown Ups too, though, this is that is where he wrote this movie. Yeah, I thought that, that was yeah. cool. It's a good use of your time that you go on vacation filming Grown Ups 2, get paid for it, and then take the time in your uh, trailer to write this movie. But in that way, it kind of seems autobiographical because we have a character, yeah. Chris Rock, who is a, if you haven't seen the movie, he's a comedian who is kind of has shoehorned himself into doing fun quote-unquote funny roles where i'm saying they're kind of movies yeah and um or like movies where he plays this bear that's a cop what's his name um hammy bear hammy bear yeah in 2005 time magazine voted today's guest the funniest man in america by 2010 the former stand-up hit it big with hammy the bear one two and three you got hammer time it's hammer time and and he just wants to be a comedian again or he wants to do serious roles i guess this whole movie is him wanting to be taken seriously as an actor and that kind of feels very chris rock right like i mean it seems similar at least like he's doing grown-ups right which is like a goofy movie but then he makes his own movie that is a serious comedy so that's weird like i can't think of a serious like a serious chris rock movie the way that adam sandler's been able to get away with it maybe that's what he was trying to make here yeah well it's kind of a hybrid Right. Yeah, because it's a romantic comedy, emphasis on the comedy. Yeah, it's but same. Also, it, this was more dramatic than most of the movies we've seen on our list. Yeah, and it's same uh, same way that Francis has a romantic comedy where it's like eh, the romance is there kind of, but it's more about this person's, you know, dealing with things. It's a very good character development kind of movie. So yeah. it's really about him. But Rosario Dawson and their love, their their relationship is integral and everything yeah, so depends on like that. the story develops alongside of it yeah yeah what what is the term for an existential career crisis um it depends on when it's happening in your life sometimes it's a quarter life crisis sometimes it's a midlife crisis maybe it's a late life crisis yeah but those aren't necessarily directed at the career right i mean i guess they're all intertwined right if your career is your life yeah, yeah, and that's what usually prompts it of like, oh my God, I've spent 20 years doing this with my life and all I have to show for it is this dumb car. <laughs> um, let's, let's uh, on that note, let's let's talk about the story of this movie. Okay, do you want to hear the story? I do. Hang on, let me tell you the story. Uh, tell it got- to me as if you're doing a comedy set. <laughs> you got Chris Rock. <laughs> I'm not a good comedian. Tell me a story, Turk. Let me tell you a story about love, D'Artagnan. I ask you about love, probably quote me a sonnet. I'm not much more than an interpreter, and not very good at telling stories. That's the end. What do you mean, that's the end? That's not. It's the beginning of something interesting. Listen, that's the end of that saga. The end. Uh, Chris Rock, like you said, is this... Started as a stand-up, then went mm-hmm. on to make funny films, mm-hmm. shoehorned himself as a funny actor, not considered uh, a serious actor. Um we learn that he uh, was an alcoholic and is uh, gone through AA and is sober now and is now wanting to do serious roles. And he's done with comedy. He wants to make serious movies. And so he made a film about a Haitian slave uprising. And I didn't even bother to look up whether it was a real thing. Oh, it's real. It's real? Yeah. That is crazy. 
um, the story that he's telling. And I'm, I'm glad to hear it. It's <laughs> like, I had not heard of it up until this movie. And so he made this serious movie that he wants to pivot his career. And this is kind of like, I guess it takes place over one day, right? Yeah, it's just a day where he's being interviewed by Rosario Dawson, who is a she's an, a reporter for The Times, mm-hmm. The New York Times, The New York Times, which we just call The Times. Yeah, if you're in the know. And meanwhile, his fiance is a reality TV star who is planning their wedding. But it's more that she's planning a reality show special that happens to be about their wedding. And she's constantly um, needing him to do certain tasks so that this TV show uh, takes off rather than, well, not take off, but continue to do well as opposed to be a good wedding. It's solidifying her celebrity. um, And she really needs that to be something that he doesn't ruin. Yeah. So for her, this wedding is more a career move than a wedding wedding. But they do have a real relationship. Sure. And it's, I like that this movie kind of throughout this, Throughout this film, you're not really quite sure whether it's more the relationship or more about the career for her. Right. And it's not until the end that you really get that it is more about the career. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, we can talk later about it, but this is the first time I've actually found myself. Good job, Chris Rock, making me empathize for a reality uh, personality. Yeah. Yeah. Like one thing that. I was so surprised about this movie was that each of these characters felt like real people. Yeah. Going into this being, a, you know, a Chris Rock joint. Um, I I was expecting a little bit more caricatureness to yeah. be a part of it. And I don't know if that's just because I, I see him as being a comedian who. Well, the adjacent productions are the Adam Sandler movies. Right. And, and this this was very real. Yeah. 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 And it's just kind of like. Adam Sandler cameos in this movie and and we're just like, we just want you to make movies like this because we know you can do funny and we know you can do drama. Can't you do good comedies where there's like actual substance? And he's like, no, I'm just going to do Grown Ups again. (laughs) Well, isn't that um, what is that movie? Uh, Funny People? Yeah. Yeah. I I never saw it, but it it seems like that was this. That's that's yeah, it it is. Uh, But it took Judd Apatow to make. Uh Um, Yeah. And this one seems. Well, I mean, I don't know who produced this film, but um, it seemed like it was very much a Chris Rock joint. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So he spends the day with Rosario Dawson, who is the reporter for The New York Times, and they agree to do uh, an expose interview for The Times that they agree is she'll be fair. If she if he plays fair, she'll play fair. Um, Yeah, because he doesn't like The Times because they've ragged this one writer in particular, James something or other. Yeah, who's ragged on his rags, uh, his stuff really hard. Um, and we can understand why, because they're dumb Adam Sandler comedies. Yeah, essentially. But, but they eviscerated them. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I love that line where he's like, my mom read that article. <laughs> yeah, that was really good. Because it compares him to like Hitler and Mussolini or something <laughs> <Yeah>. like that. <laughs> Which at us makes us as critics feel a little bit worse when we eviscerate films. But we're not that mean. Well, no, we're not critics. We're just... Um conversation starters yeah we just want to get the ball rolling (laughs) that's how all critics see themselves uh and so since this is kind of a rom-com the relationship between rosario dawson and chris rock evolve into some things and truths are had and revealed and it just seems like they're very similar people Mm -hmm. and they 
should date each other and see like where that goes. Like yeah. at the end of this movie, you don't know whether those two people are meant for each other. Yeah. So, okay, let's get into spoiler territory now. So that's, yeah, our, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's the intro to our film. If it sounds interesting to you, pause, go, go watch, watch it. it. Come back. Come back. Uh, How was it? Was that good? It was good. It was good. Yeah. I think they were meant for each other. Okay. Well, because we, we, the movie starts out with them talking to each other and having yes. a conversation and it's presumably in the future that we never flash back to that. No, no, you, you missed the setup. So later, probably like halfway through the film, we get the setup to the conversation we saw at the beginning. Oh, okay. But they just never come back around to that conversation. They show the setup and they never show like the cross dissolve of like, and then they have that conversation you had from the beginning. Okay. It more infers, you wants you to infer that's where we were coming in. Okay. Now, now, like I said before, I really liked this movie, but there were bits and pieces of that where I wasn't quite clear where we were in the story. Really? Just, just, well, no, like that. And then, for instance, I, I wasn't quite sure why the movie was titled Top 5. Oh, yeah, that was weird. So throughout the movie, there's this running bit where everybody's always like bringing up like, what's your top five favorite rappers or hip hop artists? Yeah. What's your top five? Who's your top five? Slick Rick, Kane, Rakim, Karis One, and Biggie is my fifth man, and Jay-Z is my sixth man. My top five is Jay, Nas, Scarface. Oh, okay. okay. I have to admit. Rakim. 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 And then I might let Biggie get in there. My sixth man's LL Cool J. Oh! Before the show! Before the show! And, you know, everybody's got their own thing, but then they always add a sixth number. Yeah. And, I mean, it's like... It's like when we talk about top five favorite movies, you know, it's yeah. like, uh, but I really want to squeeze this one on there. And I yeah. liked that as an aspect of the film, but it had absolutely nothing to do with Chris Rock. Cause I was expecting, I was like, I know what is coming. They're going, there's going to be somebody talking about their top five favorite comics at like a club or something. And Chris Rock is going to overhear himself on the list. Yeah. Or Andre Allen is his name in yeah. the movie. And he's he's like not going to hear himself in the top five, but then somebody's going to be like, oh, but, you know, I really want to put Andre Allen in there. Like that, his early stuff. That would be really good. Um, and that should have been in there because that would actually tied it all this together. This is us rewriting the movie right now. We're, what? <laughs> rewriting the movie. Oh, here it goes. You write your first draft with your heart. And you rewrite your head <laughs> yeah i would add uh i would add that i want that scene and i would want more of it and the th problem is though is that they did that in a movie called high fidelity mm. and that's what the whole point was is that rob and high fidelity was making all these lists he has lists for everything he's lists for different kind of records different kind of movies different kind of actors different kind of everything and eventually his top five in that movie is sent around his top five girlfriends and he revisits those relationships. And that's how he grows as a person is revisiting those mm -hmm. relationships. And then he realizes the last one is the one that got away. And, you know, it's a nice little romantic thing. Sure. My desert island, all time, top five, most memorable breakups in chronological order are as follows. Allison Ashmore. Penny Hardwick, Jackie Alden, 
Charlie Nicholson and Sarah Kendrew. Those were the ones that really hurt. Uh, this felt kind of like K. Like, I don't, especially yeah. if, since he's a comedian and it's top five hip hop artists, where it's like, I get, I, I get that that's your main genre, but wouldn't it be more applicable if like you were who are top, the top five funniest people? Yeah. In and the, like in history or and something. It, it would be about why you're a comedian and like maybe you were inspired by these top five. Yeah. And they do get at that on the subway because he's talking about Chaplin and Richard Pryor. Sure. Um, so that, that's there. And Bill Murray. Yeah, but yeah. it's not there there. Yeah, it's it seems like this adjacent fun thing that Chris Rock actually does with all of his friends that are on SNL in real life. And like it's his family. Like we go back and visit his like his family and his old friends yeah. that are all like hanging out together still. And they're all like <laughs> SNL people. Um yeah. and they're all they're all having this conversation about the, their top five rappers and it keeps coming up throughout the film. But when Rosario Dawson, when he asked Rosario Dawson what her top five is, it more just shows that he's like, you're my friend. Yeah. And that's great and all, but I don't know. It, it seems un, unpoetic, <laughs> I, I guess is the it, the word. Well, it, it just it, it seemed like it was just a fun thing that made this world broader, but which I liked, but didn't have enough to do with the story to make it the title of your film. So it works again in high fidelity because Rob says something to the effect of the things that you value is what defines you as a person. And he's like, you know, call me superficial, but it's the goddamn truth Mm -hmm. is that whoever you're, you know, listening to the most or watching the most that affects you as a person. So Rosario Dawson liking Salt and Peppa and Tribe really defines her. Well, but it should. Well, yeah, in some way. But why? Why are you including all of it? Like you're mm-hmm. showing so many conversations around this. Like we get <laughs> Jerry Seinfeld's top five. We get a lot of his family's top five. And maybe I would get more of what it really was saying about these people if I listen to that music. But I'm sorry, I don't. I listen I, to a Tribe Called Quest, which I'm told is like. What white what the rappers that white people listen to? What did, what did you say? Yeah, you made I mean, fun of me the other day. It, I mean, it's it's the the whitest non-white rap band. Yeah, so it's yeah. like I listen to Tribe Called Quest. Yeah, does that count? Back in the days on the boulevard, I landed. We used to kick routines, and the presence was fitting. It was I, the abstract, and me, the five footer. I kicks the mad style, so step off the Frankfurter. Yo, Fife, you remember that routine? Uh, that well, we no, I mean, I I listen to. I mean, I don't like listen to Ja Rule, really, but I I, I listened to a lot of the people that were on top five lists. Um, I I know all of Shoop like uh, it's one of my favorite karaoke songs, Uh Uh, but no, I I just I don't think it's about you missing it. I just think it was a fun thing that connected these people. But I don't know. It just it didn't it doesn't like they would be talking more about like, of course you would like this person. Yeah. And I think the movie would make that a little clearer if it, if it was good enough to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm curious if someone wants to chime in. Yeah. Elucidate and, us. And tell us like, oh, no, 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 no. Yeah. <laughs> this is why that would be great. Otherwise I, I do think most of the structure of the film is really effective. Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. Cause it's just over the course of one day, um and like there's this looming presence of this wedding that chris rock has to go to and he's trying not to like he's trying not to be in a fight with uh his fiance because 
she like changed his wedding rings because yeah. and the ones that he picked out for her because they didn't look as good on camera. And you can just like slowly sh- see that like Rosario Dawson is a lot more chill and more Chris Rock speed. Yeah. And, um, and real. Yeah. And what's what's her name? Um, oh, Gabrielle Union. She's living in a superficial world. Mainly because she's, as we get at the end, spoiler alert, when Chris Rock eventually, oh yeah, he's he's also in uh, AA, right? Mm-hmm. And so he's four years sober and so is Rosario Dawson. But at one point in time, Chris Rock, after having like just gone to see this new movie, this Haitian movie uh, that he just put out nobody's going to see and it's not getting good reviews and so he is just super depressed and he ends up having a beer and just having a freak out at (laughs) this cardboard bear in a bodega and which that beat felt the most formulaic beat in the whole movie it it felt like a necessary beat but it felt like the only beat where it's like the screenwriter rules say okay you're at your you're at the beginning of your third act. We need a pinch and we need a character like darkest night of the soul moment. Yeah. You know, I really wanted him to like take a drink of beer and then like feel self-possessed in a way he hadn't in a long time, because I know people who are alcoholic who can't, they, they just can't have a sip of alcohol because right. it really pushes them over the edge. And I know others who have like gotten to the point where they're like, you know what? I can be like, however my body makeup is, I can kind of be slightly like responsible if I just like have a drink or something. Right. And I, I almost wanted it to be a moment of testing for him where he like takes a sip, sets it down and walks away from it. Then sees that, that ad and just like, and, f- and, and destroys it's a sober it. freak out. Yeah. Um, I just thought that would have been more interesting as a, it would have been like you were saying, this is the most typical scene. Like it just, it would have felt a little less typical had that been the choice. Yeah. Um, uh, but it was so good. Um, but anyway, so, uh, when he's put in jail for this freak out, he gets a call from Gabrielle Union and she is just like reams him for ruining or like almost ruining like her show. Yeah, and she, he's jeopardizing her career because mm-hmm. of this bad PR move about himself. And he like rightfully it, it is looked at as superficial, but you also get a look into her heart and she's so afraid. She's like. She like kind of breaks down. She's like, look, I'm not funny. I don't sing. I don't dance. I don't do anything like this is all I've got. And if I lose this, I'm done. Yeah. And I I was blown away at like this is why we go to the movies is like making me empathize for people I wouldn't normally empathize with. And almost always when you do stuff like this, because this is satire when we're all the real uh, um, the reality star stuff. That's that's Chris Rock satirizing the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and 99 percent of the time, it's it's saying, look at these buffoons that are reality stars. Um, 30 Rock has two great episodes that is just their fake reality show. Episodes. Oh, yeah, that's right. Um, and it's just is saying reality stars are so stupid and it's so fake and it's so dumb that we like it, but we do. I'm Angie. I think elegance and attitude are the same thing. And I have IBS. Oh, I'm Defuan, and I just want to be accepted for who I am, a sexual mania. Hey, I'm Portia. I don't care what anyone says. I keep them 3D glasses. I'm Randy. With an I, my ex-husband's new girlfriend is cheating on him. With me. Do you have any meth? Or meth? It's my way till payday. And this movie is like, hold on, they're humans too. Yeah. 
And that's, I love that. I mm. love, Me I too. love it when a filmmaker says, quit your like, yeah, let's make fun. But like, take a second. They're people. Yeah. And that's, that's how I felt about this whole movie is that Chris Rock and Rosario Dawson both felt like real people. All his friends did even like Whoopi and Jerry and Adam <laughs> Sandler. Like this was the most like real I could have expected them to be. They're all just like hanging out at this um, this strip club and they're all like, yeah, I've never been here, but they've all actually been there. Yeah. And like Whoopi's just like lying back in the cut. Yeah. And just being so chill. And, yeah. you know, Seinfeld's like talking a lot and Adam Sandler's being like a dad, yeah. basically. <laughs> it's It's not over the top. It just feels so down to earth. So that's what I don't get about Adam Sandler movies is that, Grownups could have had that vibe where it could have been and Adam Sandler would come back and be like, it does have that vibe. It's just more PG-13 about it. And it's just like, eh, it's also really stupid. <laughs> like, I just well, wish I could have really gotten them real ragging on each other the way they do it in top five. I guess Chris Rock is just a much better director. Maybe maybe that's Adam Sandler's problem is that he needs to take Chris Rock out of the co-star role and make him direct these movies. Yeah, perhaps. I don't know. I, I haven't seen Grown Ups, but... Um... It, it's, I, I saw it, like, I think it came out when I was in college, and I was like, ah, let's, let's check out Adam Sandler. Let's see where he's at these days. And I saw it for free because I was working at a movie theater at the time. And I was like, man, I paid way too much going to this for free. <laughs> that is a slight if I've ever heard it. You were talking about being like a harsh critic, but that is. Woof. In 1978, they were the best of friends. Everybody's saying championship. Now, they're getting back together for the first time in over 30 years. Remember the guy I always tell you about, Rob? Of course. Oh, and this must be your mother. My wife. I'm sorry. I'm not. Be Ouch. Because it does feel like in his Netflix movies, at least he is trying. Like, he's got... You know, that that Western movie made a few years ago, like there's budgets, there's there's people trying, there's people putting in an effort. But Grown Ups really did feel like he had a camera crew come out. They got a vacation home and he just put a camera down and they just kind of had a script and just kind of did these bits. And it's just like, this is not this is not good. You're not trying. Mm. It's the same problem we have with To All the Boys I Love Before. It's like you could have done more. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I don't I think we might be the first people in the whole world who have comped Adam Sandler and to all the boys I loved before. <laughs> <laughs> um, there was um, as we're watching Rosario Dawson and Chris Rock kind of slowly, they're not even falling in love over the course of the movie. They're just kind of letting down walls with each other mm -hmm. because she's kind of trying to force him to become real. And she does so by revealing that she's been an AA and mm -hmm. um, but it, it has that that age old trope in this genre where she's but she's been lying about one thing this whole time. Yeah. Which calls into question everything else that she said. And it was a genuine surprise. I didn't I didn't see the movie being like, ooh, she's withholding. Yeah, it, it really came out of left field. But she's actually she writes under pseudonyms for her like she writes for Cosmo as well as The New York Times. And like they really craftily just snuck that in there that mm -hmm. um, she's actually James, whoever for the New York Times, it's been writing about him this whole time. Yeah, which and is a great rom-com switcheroo trope. It is. It, and they they really executed it well. Yeah, most of the time in these movies, 
we see it 10 miles away and yeah. we're waiting for it to happen. It's the same thing. I can't remember when we were talking about this for another film, but oh, when we were talking about Hitch and there was a misunderstanding mm-hmm. and we're just like, can you clear up the misunderstanding? Yeah, can, please? can you guys just whisper to each other in the corner for a sec? Then you'll understand. And most of the time, these are the things where it's like, I've been lying about who I am this whole time. And you're like, well, we've known about it since the whole time because that's the premise. And we're just waiting for this scene to happen. I, where you have I to loved do that. being in the dark about yeah. that this whole time. That that's was really smart. That was that was Chris. That was Chris Rock as a director and a writer trusting the audience to stick with this story. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I feel respected. Yes. I uh, the one thing that I had a hard time buying into was. For some reason, and this is actually this is how Robin felt too. Um, the Rosario Dawson being four years clean and calling her, she like she has a freak out at one point in time because her boyfriend. Oh yeah, this is another. This movie's so layered. Oh yeah. Um, she has a boyfriend, and it's apparently his birthday, and um, we don't know this, but they got into a fight recently, and she ends up going to a hotel later with Chris Rock for some reason. And then she finds her boyfriend there and he's actually cheating on her with another, with guy. another guy. And it, it like sends her to this place where she's like kind of spiraling and she ca- calls her sponsor and um, like has a conversation. And then they go to a liquor store. Right. Mm-hmm. And she starts softly petting bottles mm-hmm. for like five minutes while they talk. And I really think that it would have been more fun. This is another one of those those parts about this movie where I'm like, this is really good. I, I just would have tweaked this. Is It would have been better if her sponsor just for some reason didn't pick up for some reason. Mm-hmm. And she had to cope with it in another way that she's had to cope with it in the past because yeah. it would have revealed more about her character. And then I, when they finally get to the liquor store, she like walks around and she pets the bottles kind of lovingly as if like this, you know, she, she's not necessarily testing herself, but she's, she is in a little way, but the filmmaking felt so casual in there. And I really wanted it to feel a little bit more important. Like this was a ritual where she, when she feels like strong, it's like, uh, I mean, this is a little bit dark. So trigger warning for anybody who's like gone through any suicide, um, stuff before, but Basically, like I, I know that people who have um, like found themselves cutting before, mm-hmm. like um, they have there's a specific kind of therapy where like people put like fake knives on their wrists uh-huh. and just like kind of sit there with it yeah. and get to the point where they're like comfortable with this thing that that is very hard for them to deal with. And so it, it felt kind of like a tradition, like she'd been here to a liquor store before and she'd come in there and kind of just like be with that thing that is so hard for her to be with. And in that way, kind of feel her heartbeat slow or something. And it just felt like the filmmaking wasn't as interested in the scene. It was just much more interested in the dialogue that was going on during that scene. So that's not how I read the scene. That's fine. I read the scene as she is now, this is not, this is not a routine she goes through. This is her succumbing to temptation and she's, it's like she's getting closer and closer and closer to breaking her sobriety. And this mm. this felt like this felt like a, a circle that she shouldn't be in. Like the way I was watching, I was in Chris Rock's shoes and he's just kind of like, what are we doing? Like ni- neither of us should be in this room right now. See, that's why it didn't that's why it didn't feel real to me, because 
she was somebody who's now four years sober and she's with somebody who's also like that. And she didn't lean on him. She brought him into a dangerous place. It's a dangerous as well. It's a dangerous place for. But it didn't. Yeah, I guess I I guess we just saw it a couple different ways. Like, I mean, Chris Rock was concerned for her, but she felt so casual when she was in there. Like she almost felt like. Like dangerous. It is. Yeah, no, no, but not it's not like she's being dangerous to herself, but like she's acting dangerous on purpose. Like it like the vibe was just a little bit. It felt like there were too many cross purposes in that scene. But anyway, we don't really need to talk about it anymore. (laughs) Well, this isn't a perfect comparative, but it felt like seeing a kid go into a corner of the room where they know they're not allowed to be. And they're trying to be like, look at me. I'm touching the record player. Right. But she has no reason to do that. Um, like she's not like if she was arguing with Chris Rock and trying to prove a point to him, it's for herself. Like she's both parent and child in that situation where there's, it's the classic super ego ego thing where it's like, you know, you shouldn't be in here. And the ego is getting the better half of it where it's like, no, I'm going to be in here. I'm going to, I'm going to touch the liquor bottles. I'm going to show, I don't know if she was testing herself and saying I I'm strong enough or she was getting to the point where it's like, no, I want to drink. Well, yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying. The but maybe that the vagueness scene, is intentional, that, that, that we're not quite sure what she's going at. Perhaps. I'm saying I would have rather, I think the filmmaking would have been stronger with some intentionality behind that scene. I like the vagueness, but we'll agree to disagree. That's fine. Agree to disagree. Ryan and Kelly shaking hands. Ew. That is, <laughs> you really got to get that checked out. <laughs> yeah. And then basically... Chris Rock at the end is his manager. We haven't even talked about his manager yet. Yeah. Like Kevin Hart is his agent who's yeah. in LA. His manager is his old friend that's been like hanging out with him since he was a kid. Yeah. And his manager is also like this lascivious guy who really likes l- larger, larger women. ladies. Yes. Um, you can put in the Fezzik quote right there. <laughs> I do not envy you the headache you will have when you awake. But in the meantime, rest well. And dream of large women. He's not necessarily like, I don't really like his manager most of the movie until the end. Right. And I think that might be the point of like, problematic people aren't 100% problematic. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And then, but basically him and after, after Chris Rock finds out that Rosario Dawson has been lying to him this whole time, they kind of like break it apart and then he has his freak out and then... What happens after that? Um, they they kind of make up because he's, he goes to her his bachelor party. Yeah. yeah and yeah. she shows up and they leave. She, and she shows up because he sent her daughter a phone. Yeah. Because like her daughter stole his phone earlier. But then the big, big thing about the movie is that she takes him to the comedy cellar or the comedy club. Yeah. And she basically cellar? like pushes him up on stage. And yeah. well, she doesn't. But like she puts his name on the list. Yeah. And then he does an open mic set. And he's really good. And it goes great. Yeah. And this is this is like the great, elegant rom-com story beat where you have someone in your life that just is nudging you to be a better you. Yeah. They they can see where you're trying to get to and they just say, hey, this door isn't as heavy as you think it is. And they open it a crack. Mm-hmm. And, and your main character still has to do the work. Right. 
And it's, it's, but that's, that's kind of what we come to these movies for, right? Mm -hmm. Is we see a couple characters that find each other and help each other become the people that they're supposed to, or that they want to be. Yeah. 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 I think meaningful connections are meaningful because they change your life. Yeah. Yeah. And this, we we don't see the change happen, but we know it's there. We know it's there because at at the end of this movie, uh, Chris Rock is, he drops off rather than hooking up with Rosario Dawson, which he almost does earlier in the movie. Mm -hmm. And at that point in the film, I totally forgot he was engaged. I did too. And that, that is my other writing slash pacing thing about this movie that I would change. I would have ramped up like this, this, like he's got to leave town and he's got to fly to where the wedding is at a specific time. And so there's always like this moment where he's like, we got to get this done before this point in time, because it, it felt like there was like a lack of tension at some, at a certain point. But I really liked that because mm. it only illustrates how disconnected he is to his fiance. I like that thematically, but I, I still think that I would build a little, if I was making that movie, I would build a little bit more tension in because like, let's say they go to the comedy club, right? Mm-hmm. And he's supposed to be catching this plane. And so that he gets somewhere on time to be where the movie crew is, where his wedding is. Right. Mm -hmm. And he has to catch that plane. And then Rosario Dawson's like, we're going to actually just take a stop right before you, you head to the airport and they go to the comedy club and he makes the conscious choice. And he's like, I'll do a quick set. But then he just gets so into it that he does this set and it makes him late for that plane and he misses it. But he's and, okay with it. But he's okay with it. Not only yeah, that, I'd like it, that. That would be good. Right. And and like I'm saying, this isn't, it didn't break the movie. It was still really good. Um, and this part was really good because he he says no to Rosario Dawson because at one point in time, they're like, they're, they're standing outside her house and he drops her off and he's like, no, I'm not going to hook up with her. And then it's the, the bag. Why don't you talk about the bag? Oh, so then he's looking through his gift bag and from er- his own bachelor party. Yeah. Earlier in their movie, they were making jokes about gift bags and, you know, and Cinderella, right? Cinderella. Cinderella, which yeah. is his her is Rosario Dawson's version of Cinderella that she wrote. Yeah. Which rewrites it. So that's set in the 90s. And, and Prince is the actual and, Prince. And what, oh, I love that. <laughs> I would watch that movie. <laughs> and she caps the point of this story is the whole thing is girls have one play to be remembered and that's leaving something behind. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the movie, Rosario Dawson leave behinds a slipper or in this case, heel. a high heel, uh-huh. um, which again, so deft. I didn't see it coming. Me neither. I should have seen it coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This movie has so many layers and I think... I think this is some this is something that a lot of writers should learn when they're younger. Have layers that build your story so that you can help the audience forget something that was important, but not so many layers. It's always a balancing act. Not so many layers that you can't keep track of what's going on. Yeah. And it it's like it's hitting the traditional moments and beats. But it's doing it in such a way that doesn't feel revolutionary. It just feels nice and fresh. And it's it just did. like mm. this movie was nothing if not fresh. Yeah. yeah. And it's kind of like when you go out for dinner and you're looking for, you know, steak, salad, chocolate cake. <laughs> you know, your traditional steak and cake. <laughs> well, you don't do the traditional steak and cake. Oh, I'd love I do a it every steak night. And cake. <laughs> I'm vegetarian and I would love a steak and cake. <laughs> but, you know, and it's not quite what you thought you were going out for, but you still got the elements. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Is that is that making sense? Yeah, like um, 
this this movie this movie was like having oh, okay so if we're sticking with the steak and cake analogy um let's say you've never had steak sous vide steak sous vide sous vide which is like i haven't it's, it's let's a, okay. assume away let's like i i've never had steak sous vide let's just it's it's basically a way of cooking where you really retain all the juices because okay. you basically wrap uh, whatever meat you're you're cooking in plastic and cook it in hot water. So it doesn't absorb any of the water and it doesn't lose any of the juices. And then like you can just sear it on both sides afterwards to give it like that caramelization. Mm. It's cooked through to the exact way that you want it, but it's also just like it's got all the juices still left in it. So it's like steak, but like like you've never had it. Yeah, basically. But it's still steak. But it's still steak. And it's it, it's hit, it's that thing where you're you're taking your dad to some like fusion restaurant and he's like, I just want a burger. Well, dad, they don't have burgers per se. They have they have bulgogi sous vide because this is Korean. <laughs> well, is it like a burger? Yeah, 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 yeah. it's like a burger. And he eats it. He's like, that's the best damn burger I've ever had. It's like, Good. <laughs> you got what you were looking for. Yeah. And uh, there's probably like a million chefs out there just like shaking their head. The They're same. like, that doesn't make any sense. But you that's guys. the thing is that this doesn't play like I would say the creme de la creme of formula rom-coms is our 90s like sweet spot of your Nora Ephron's, your Richard Curtis's. Mm-hmm. Um, that's like the best of the best rom-coms, but at the end of the day, they are formulaic. Mm-hmm. And so like, this is just like a tilt on that where it's not yeah. hitting the formula as hard as those movies are, but it's still got the beats where they need to be. Yeah. I think where, where it might lose a little substance just because there's, there's, a, there is a lot going on in this movie. Yeah. Um, and it might lose a little substance there. It gives us enough newness that I'm I'm there for it just as much as I am there for some rom-coms that I think are better. Yeah, and this feels more... Like, I want to re-watch this movie. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this feels more traditional as a rom-com than Frances Ha does. But I think they're both yeah. equally layered. Mm-hmm. And equally interested in character, interested in saying truths, mm-hmm. but they just mm-hmm. are going about it really different ways. Yeah, I mean, in uh, we didn't even talk about this scene, but in Francis Ha, you don't have uh, that Houston scene. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! Let's get like, into it. Okay. So, well, I want to lead off and say this movie. Maybe we should have warned everyone at the beginning of this episode before you went and watched it. It is a raunch fest. It is. It, I mean, in a different way. We Last week we watched Booty Call and it's not the same kind of raunchy as Booty Call. Yeah. It, because it's not silly. I mean, it is silly in its raunchiness, but. The raunch in this feels so 10 times dirtier. Way dirtier and way more like not. It, cringy like i think it's because it's more realistic yeah 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 um but i think the sex comedy stuff in top five is heads and shoulders above booty call i think it's just it's way more effective it's more filmic yeah but even funnier and fresher and just (laughs) like (laughs) so what's what's the guy's name he says his name a million times and he's like i'm the man all i was thinking is like cedric the entertainer (laughs) yeah i uh yeah, man. Hey, sorry I ain't have one of them little signs, man. I'm Jazzy D, CEO of Code J Enterprises, man. Welcome to Houston. 
Flop. We promoting your show, man. You know what I'm saying? How was your flight? Good? That's pretty good. It's great, it's great, man. You know, tickets are a little slow because of the half show in time, but don't worry, we're gonna have a big walk up, dog. Okay. So about uh, how far is the hotel? I'm starving. About 45 minutes. Okay. Bruce Bruce already there. Like I say, this is my town. Anything you need, you let his brother know. And so he basically, uh, Chris Rock is telling Rosario Dawson about when he hit rock bottom. And this <laughs> is a very familiar story. I mean, not in detail, but like where you hit rock bottom is something that you know as somebody who's been to any sort of like uh, help yeah. uh, place with your uh, addictions. Um, so... <laughs> Basically, he goes to Houston. He gets picked up by a handler who is like from the comedy club, club presumably, or his yeah. Agent he's or like something. a promoter, or yeah. like maybe he's the promoter. Yeah, and so he just takes him out on the town where they get super drunk, and then um, he's he's a, kind of a crazy dude, but he he sends a couple ladies to Chris Rock's apartment. Chris Rock starts having sex with him, and then he this guy comes back. Cedric the Entertainer Cedric, shows up, and and he's got like. He's got like the, one of those voices where you're just like, oh, no, this guy's trouble. Like yeah. just the way he says things, you're like, oh, no. And it, it just depicts everything very graphically. Yeah, and like this could have been a Paul Thomas Anderson film. I couldn't at this believe point. that it got away with an R rating. I mean, I guess we it showed just to the limit yeah. Yeah, 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 of yeah. what you can show. There's a lot of dipping below frame. Yeah, but it's it's very graphic, but it's also hilarious it's impeccable like there's one point in time where chris rock is having sex and then cedric the entertainer comes in and basically pushes chris rock away and he's like ah i'm here now and chris rock is just stuck in this hotel drunk because he doesn't have anywhere to go and he's naked and he doesn't know where his clothes are Mm -hmm. he just has to watch and it's a grotesque it's grotesque what he has to deal with but it's also it's like like with a worse director this would seem like raunchy for raunchiness sake. Right. But there's still story, like hard line story throughout this that really brings me into the moment. And I'm just like, no, Chris Rock, no, yeah, run away. Exactly. But I think that's the why it's funny is that squirm mm-hmm. thing, the way that like on a dry, not raunchy level, The Office works yeah, as the humor. Office. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Is cringe comedy. And Sarah hates cringe comedy because she doesn't like having to feel bad when she's watching something, which I think is totally fair. Mm -hmm. But this was triply so because I was watching this with Sarah in the room. Oh, my gosh. And I'm just like, I warned her ahead of time. I'm like, I don't this movie is rated R and it's a Chris Rock movie and um, I'm going to put it on. And she was cooking dinner. She's Mm -hmm. like, "Okay," And she was like, why are you warning me? I'm like, well, it's just it's a Chris Rock movie that's rated R. She's like, okay. <laughs> and then the scene came on. I was like, yep. <laughs> like just what I thought was going to happen. But um, I I thought it was one of the funniest bits in, I've seen in a long time. Yeah, same it with me. And so funny. I was, I was really going into that scene kind of knowing what was going to happen. Yet I was pleasantly surprised. Yeah. And it has the shock value that is effective yeah it totally works so we get a um another version of this kind of comedy later in the movie when rosario dawson talks about her sex life with her boyfriend that she just realized oh yeah that's right uh cheating on her with another guy and chris rock's like really you didn't see this coming and so then we get a story of how their sex life started out normal uh, and then got 
kinkier if you want to be sure. fair towards it, uh, in which he liked things up the butt and uh, <laughs> up to butt <laughs> and uh, okay. And that's what she was like, uh, okay. Yeah. Because she's like, I like this guy. Yeah. You know, whatever. And it just escalates and escalates. And then the sex is no longer about her. It's yeah. all about him. Mm-hmm. And there was one night where it's um, he said something really mean to her. During and, dinner. Yeah. With and, the guy that he ends up cheating yeah, on Yeah. And it was with. really embarrassing. And so she got her revenge by... Taking a tampon and soaking it in hot sauce. Which she keeps in her purse. Again, this movie is so layered and smart. I just realized she always, that. She, me too. She always keeps hot sauce in her purse, which we <laughs> like this movie is so freaking tight. It's a great job. Ugh. And he, she burns his butt. And she, oh man. And, like, <laughs> and equally graphic to the point of being an R rated movie. Mm. Like we don't get too much shown to us, but we get plenty. Yeah. <laughs> And also hilarious and cringy and painful. Again, like handled by a worse director, it would have been too over the top and I wouldn't care about it, but it's so good. Yeah. And this also proves why standups are able to make such good movies. Not always. Not always. But like I, I would have watched a bunch of 30 Rock episodes directed by Chris Rock. I think he would have been super funny. Yeah. Yeah. But there's something about like, like I said before, is that I knew going into this Chris Rock movie because his notoriety as a stand-up is that he gets really graphic as a stand-up. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, if he has full control over the film that he's making, I'm guessing that it's going to get really graphic. And I was right. Um, and this is his stand-up imagined for cinema. And it translates. It really does. It's not like he's... And it feels like he's been working... Like, this movie was, what, an hour and a half? Yeah, yeah. It's it's like he's been working on this tight hour and a half as a set yeah. for five years, and then he made it. Yeah, it makes me think, and don't judge. There's no judging. But there's this Dane Cook like stand-up show that I watched on DVD. Mm-hmm. And he... It, it was 2005, <laughs> we know. It was. It was one, and I was in high school. And it was... He did a, I can't remember what the bit was, but it was the same feeling I had where he's telling the story that's about sex and about this like awkward sex thing. And it felt in a stand up routine cringy and awkward and graphic, but Dane Cook is just telling a story. Right. Mm-hmm. And it feels the same way that what we're watching is I can see this version being told by Chris Rock in a stand up routine and being equally funny, but him doing it through cinema is just as effective. And for me, as a person who prefers cinema over stand-up, I prefer it that way. And I think yeah. this works great. Though this this movie did make me want to go watch all of his new Netflix specials. Yeah. Well, I guess they're a couple years old now, but like I'm really interested in dipping my toes into new Chris Rock. Yeah. 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 It just proves his worth. And it also proves the other versions that are out there, like why Seinfeld got a show, why Ray Romano got a show is that they had these personas as comedians that just translated into different mediums. And Mm -hmm. for Seinfeld, that was a TV show. Right. It's usually a TV show, but Woody Allen's probably the most famous example of like starting as a standup and then making a film career out of it. I can't think right off the top of my head. I mean, SNL makes movie stars and it's like SNL is the, the middle part of their career where they start as standups, then they do SNL, then they get a movie career. Right, which is probably your, or a TV career. Yeah. Like if, if you're a Tina Fey or an Amy Poehler. Right. This movie, like I said before, had so many SNL 
people this in it. This was the greatest hits of um, comedians working, and I guess ninety five percent black, right? Like, there's just Seinfeld, Sandler, and Joe, um, one other guy, but the rest is just like the best black comedians that were working, like Leslie yeah. Jones and, and it. It, Tracy Jordan. Yeah. Or Tracy Morgan. Tracy Morgan. I, I know. I do that every time. Um, and and it, like, Michael just Shea. having all of them in the same room together, mm-hmm. it, they each brought, like, their own very individual personalities. Yeah. And that's what made that room feel special. Because I don't, I don't necessarily like when a bunch of comedians are together in a movie all the time. It worked in The Big Sick. Yeah. Um, and this didn't feel, like, a lot of times it feels like there's an ego where I got to show up. Right. At a hundred. Like everybody has to show up at a hundred. And there were a couple characters like that, but it was dynamic enough that like, it was just like, this is a group of friends that have been hanging out for a really so, long time. Again, I go back to the Adam Sandler thing and it feels like in Adam Sandler movies lately, it's just him and his buddies. That right. didn't feel like it in it, this. It didn't though. I did want the, the one thing that I was thinking about that threw me off a little bit during those moments were I was like, all of these people are comedians. And then you have, Chris Rock playing not himself, right? Right. And you have all these comedians that are his friends not playing themselves. But then you have Seinfeld, Whoopi, and yeah. um, and Adam Sandler playing themselves. themselves. And so I was like, well, okay, there's a little bit of disconnect here because it's both in the real world and not in the real world. Yeah, but it's effective. And I think it's probably because of venue. It's because we We're get all of his friends in, in this, a house, in this small house. And, and, then, and in the bachelor party later on. Yeah. But like when we see Seinfeld and Sandler and Whoopi, it's at the bachelor party and we can throw our like, I bet they just live a rich New York high life. Yeah, sure. And yeah. we can just project that onto them. But we couldn't project that onto all of his friends who were in this place that doesn't line up with our imaginary world of like, what would a richish New York comedian be doing with right right and you know another thing that kind of like helped transition us to that area was when he was walking by like three old dudes on the corner yeah and one of them ends up being his dad yeah and that really placed Chris Rock in in the shoes of a person yeah um and then like he goes and hangs out with his friends we're like oh he's from this neighborhood right here yeah totally I loved it and they it, it felt like Chris Rock has taste in casting yeah, he really does. You know, like he he knows who will be good in what part. Yeah. Was, like, uh, I, I can't think of somebody in this movie who wasn't where they should have been. And what's weird is Adam Sandler did a good job of this in the 90s, I think. Or I just grew up and realized that he was always bad. But I think it's an age old question of was Adam Sandler always bad? And he's not always bad. That's not what I mean. He's he's a great actor um, and he does does really stellar work. But the grown ups style of movies, were those movies always bad or did you just grow up? Because, well, I I don't know if they're necessarily bad, but the style of comedy really is saying like there's this character who is so unrealistic and that's what's funny about them. Right. Like uh, Billy Madison. Yeah. Um, whereas a movie like this is saying there's a character, but they're not larger than life. They're just a human who everybody sees as being larger than life because they're in the movies. Well, what I'm getting at is in the nineties, you had Billy Madison, happy Gilmore, water boy, and big daddy. 
Um, all those movies, the supporting cast is played by the same few guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's Alan Covert and a couple other oh, yeah, of right. his buddies. And it felt like each time Adam Sandler was working on the script and just figured, let's make a role for Alan. And it just felt like that role was made for him and and made for all these other guys. Sure. And it felt just kind of like. It felt manufactured. But in a good way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like thought through. Yeah. But then later, those guys show up in Grown Ups. But those roles that they usually got were now going to Kevin James and Rob Schneider and Chris Rock. And so then it felt like the those it just didn't it just didn't feel right anymore it felt like it was much more thoughtful in the 90s and i think what we're seeing here in top five is when he picks out tracy morgan he knows where to plunk him yeah to really get the best of the scene yeah and it's like same with kevin hart like kevin hart is a fast talking agent it's like perfect yeah like he was perfectly cast in that role and i love that dmx is in the yes. prison and he he plays like basically who you'd expect DMX to be in a prison, except that he's like, you know what? I've been working on singing like basically standards <laughs> and he's yeah. singing smile. It's awful. It's so awful, but it's just like it's not unrealistic. There's something about that moment that lives in reality. And I don't know how we made it work. Yeah. And it's hilarious and it's perfect because it's just illustrating Maybe you should stay in your lane. That's what I always say, man. I, I got so much more to offer. You got a minute? Yeah. Check this out. Smile, though your heart is aching. Smile, even though it's breaking. When there are clouds in the sky, you'll get by. Smile through the pain and sorrow. What? Smile and maybe tomorrow. You see the sun come shining through for you. I'm expressing myself over here. Yeah, not only maybe you should stay in your lane, but maybe everybody's got another side to them. I feel like this movie is that because um, Chris Rock is trying to prove so much that he is he's got another side to him. Right. Yeah. Other than being like funny, goofy. Yeah. And he does maybe. But what he's denying is like this, his true self. Yeah. Which is being a comedian. But yeah. then you have people like his, his manager who's upfront about who he is all the time. And you think he's just a lech, but then also he's a nice guy who cares yeah. about his friend. And so he's not like, you would never expect DMX to like want to sing standards and he probably shouldn't, but also he's, you know, he's multi-layered. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know how you like, he just like creates all of these multi-layered characters. But somehow the movie does make the case of like, Hey, you're good at this comedy stuff and maybe you're not so good at the drama stuff. And it, I think this movie was also saying you got to believe in yourself because like he lost that because he had never done it drunk or, mm-hmm. or he had never done it sober. Yeah. And so it, it takes a good supportive person not to say you can't do this mm-hmm. sober, so don't do it, but rather you can do this. I believe in you. Yeah. And I think, uh, I think it's an important lesson that we always are, are, um, going through uh that we always are trying we we imagine what we want to be good at and we rarely just sit and embrace with what we are good at Mm. and like for you and i like our current dream and 
we are still doing this and we're doing what we're doing, but we want to be filmmakers. Um, and for us, we have lofty ambitions. We, we want to do a lot. And I think we're good at that stuff. And I think we'll end up where we end up. And I don't know if we're going to end up precisely where we imagine where we want ourselves to end up. But I think no matter what, you and I are going to have successful lives because what I learned about C.S. Lewis, random for this conversation, <laughs> C.S. what C.S. Lewis wanted to do. So C.S. Lewis is the writer of the Narnia series. Friend of J.R.R. Tolkien. Mm-hmm. What C.S. Lewis wanted to do is that he wanted to be the next big romantic poet. He wanted to be remembered as uh, Wordsworth or Byron or Shelley, or he wanted to write poetry that would just make people swoon. DMX. (laughs) He did not do that. And it is a failure that he dealt with. He knew that he could not write poetry like that. But what he did do was write the Narnia series, which is one of the most successful fiction fantasy series of all time, you know, this side of Lord of the Rings, um, and is one of the most important family, you know, works of literature. And he is going to be remembered for the rest of time, hopefully for that, the way I hope people remember Tolkien for the rest of time. And it's only after he let go of the poetry and embraced what he was good at, which was writing stories like that. He has also write lots of nonfiction and you know, other stuff, but that's what he was remembered for. And I think that movie, the movie is, this movie is making the same case where it's Mm. like, embrace what you're good at because it makes, it gives so much joy to the world. Right. And, but, which is good. And then we have Chris Rock directing. We do have Chris Rock directing. Which um, I think if, if there's another lesson we take from that, it's, you know what, maybe you're good at multiple things. It just takes a little bit of testing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I want to see more of what he does. Me too. Yeah. I want more. I want more Chris Rock written like auteur. Like I want you to write. I want you to direct. And I want you to star. All right. On that note, what is your rom-com? Oscar. Wow. That was amazing. Thank you. I have this new pop filter, so I wanted to try it out. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to put this out there and I'm going to wait for it to be dethroned, mm-hmm. but I don't know, but I'm going to say best sex scene. Yeah. Oh, really? As... In the sense of no, you, okay, you gotta don't addendum it at the end. Give it, give it a nice title. But I don't know how else to say it because it's the most effective sex scene. <laughs> most effective sex scene. Yeah. Okay. So. <laughs> okay. Right. Yeah. I don't know. I there are sex scenes I'd rather watch. For other reasons, though, like I think this does so much for the storytelling, and it's so. It's it's one of the best parts of the movie. And in a very good movie. And so I'm going to say most effective. Thank you. And just, I'm waiting and I'm dirty. looking forward to other movies to dethrone it for uh, other effective reasons. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. It's, it's your Oscar. You put it where you want. Yeah. Um, I'm just going to give this best. Oh, well, okay. This isn't his first direction as we found out, but 
I'm going to give this movie kind of like a kid's choice award, best new director, because I had no idea he directed. As far as you're concerned, it's the debut. <laughs> yeah, as far as I'm concerned, it's my my favorite debut Chris Rock movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I like I don't know if this movie has it's definitely not the best direction we've seen, mm-hmm. but it's good. And and it's better than a lot of other ones we've seen. Exactly. And I I want to give Chris Rock some props. And maybe maybe this is a more of a political Oscar than anything else. It's me saying, like, you know, I want to see more of this. Thus, I'm going to reward you for your good job. Yeah. yeah. Best, best new director. Okay. Okay. Uh, I, I also want to talk a little bit about the history of this movie is that it was independently produced, um, even though it feels like a studio movie, because it was bought by a studio. That's how good it was. And... Wait, was it, it was bought, the script was bought by a studio? No, the finished production was bought by Paramount. And so a little context for you guys. Um, every year we have a festival season for for independent films. And the biggies are Sundance in January and Toronto in September. And so a lot of indie films make their premiere at either of those festivals. And what happens at each of those festivals is the film distributors uh, purchase the films so that they can release it. And so Francis Ha, Lady Bird. Um, are there other indie films that we've done so far? Well, well, we haven't done Lady Bird, but. Well, yeah. Let me see. The Big Sick. Um, I think Imagine Me and You also is part of this category. But they were independently made, so. Uh, the producers just got their money together, made the film, premiered it at a festival in hopes that a distributor would pay cash to buy the rights to release it. Before Sunrise? Uh, that might have been independently produced as well, yeah. Okay. Um, and so this is actually one of the most highest profile films because ordinarily the distributors that are buying it are smaller. They're like A24 or IFC, um, these guys that you haven't heard of usually, but A24 is kind of Sure, famous. they're kind of bigger. Um, rarely, very, very, very rarely does a studio buy uh, independent film. And that's what happened with this is that it premiered uh, top five premiered at Toronto in 2014 and Paramount spent wow. like $14 million on yeah, it. Yeah. I was really surprised when those stars started going across the lake there at the beginning. Yeah. 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 And so this is one of the biggest, highest paid acquisitions. Usually they're in the three to seven million dollar range for acquisitions the high profile ones are the 10 million dollar ones and 14 million dollars is huge the biggest one that's happened in recent memory was something like 25 million dollars for palm springs from oh yeah and i haven't seen that yet but it's supposed to be good yeah so that was split between neon and hulu so that was why i was on hulu Uh, but yeah 14 million dollars for this and so it's just kind of like well done everybody yeah, good job. Like, way to get paid. Yeah. Like, we're, we're always trampening independent filmmakers who find a way to get paid. Yeah, and this was this was very successful. I mean, uh, not that... I mean, we yes, it is an independent film, but there's a vast difference between ind- this kind of independent film... And Francis Ha. And Francis Ha, or what we make, which yeah. is... I, I couldn't even call it independent film anymore, because, like... Like the idea I think that the public has is that you have at least a million dollars when you're making something. <laughs> if yeah, you're an independent I do. Movie. I find it funny that independent film is called independent because it's like, well, it's not like you did it with you and your buddies and you got a camera or you, or even that you just like scrounged together like two hundred thousand dollars because 
those are the movies that I have mainly worked on for features where it's just like somewhere between 20 and $250,000. That's and independent because you aren't answering to anybody at that no, point. You're answering to yourself and the fact that you can't pay, pay your employees very much. Yeah. But with this production, I'm sure $14 million, it sounds like a lot, but if it was $14 million towards Francis Ha, that would be a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. Well, that wait, you're saying $14 million was the budget? Well, it was a bidding war, so it could have right, been. Right, right, So I don't know what the budget for Top 5 was, but the budget for the actual production of Top 5 clearly is much bigger than Francis Ha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, you just, you have way too many people in it not to, and a lot of high-profile people. Yeah. Like, uh, but other even, other productions that counted. Jay Farrow was probably, like, <laughs> yeah, more expensive to get than <laughs> most of the people in um, Francis Ha. Yeah. Adam Driver had yet not Kylo Ren. That's true. But <laughs> I like that as a verb. <laughs> but like other independent films are My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Mm, mm-hmm. That's an indie, technically. But it, it looks and feels like a studio film. Right, 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 right. It, it feels as as much a studio film as something like Father of the Bride. Yeah. 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 Franck. <laughs> Franck. Okay. We, we gave Oscars. Let's give love. Who would you love? Oh, turning it around. Uh, nice. I, I like that you're making this feel fresh. <laughs> um, who would I fall in love with? Well, I've been thinking a lot about this. Uh, more than usual, actually, because I really like Rosario Dawson in this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems like a pretty obvious choice. She's cool. She's a good writer. She's got a kid and is seemingly a pretty good mom. She gets along with her mom, which is cool. Like, everything about her is pretty awesome. Plus, she's super, super foxy. Mm-hmm. Then the other thing is though, Whoopi Goldberg is in this movie. Oh, um, Whoopi! And we don't and and so do I want to be with fictional character, um, fictional character Rosario Dawson? <laughs> I can't remember her name. Or do I want to be with Whoopi Goldberg? You got a thing for Whoopi. I do. I like Whoopi a lot. It, it comes from Star Trek. Oh, mm-hmm. so you would and kind Sister of, Act as a kid. You would kind of like. Um, you know, role play like, ooh, whoopee, we're on 10 forward and make me a drink. <laughs> can, can you whip me up something <laughs> sexy? I'm worried because we're in this constellation and time seems to be going backwards. Help me out. And Wesley's here, too. And I don't know oh, what to do boy. with him. I'm not that. No, that that sounds like a recipe for um, <laughs> the sex scene you were talking about earlier. And <laughs> uh, no, I, I think I'm going to go just because I feel like picking whoopee would be cheating. Um I think Rosario Dawson is the most interesting to me. Plus, you can have a really good conversation with her. She's whip smart. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to go Rosario Dawson in this. Yeah, I'm going to go with Rosario only because the other options are sex workers one and two and his fiance. No, no, no. Remember, we can pick like outside of your particular sexual preference. No, but you've done it lots of yeah, times. Yeah, but then I don't want to be with Chris Rock. OK, well, I'm just saying you have to include him on your negation. And list. then. You know, J.B. Smoove as his manager. Definitely not him. No, definitely not him. I'm not big enough for him anyway. He wouldn't appreciate me. So that only leaves like, what, Tracy Morgan? Yeah, which <laughs> like those people all seem fun, but no. Um, and there's Sherry Shepard. But I feel like she would ask a lot of me. <laughs> yeah, I, I really liked her interaction with Rosario. She was great. That was good. Um, no, yeah. Okay, Rosario Dawson. High yeah. five. All right, I think for for the next one, we need to make a uh, a rule where if we get like three 
super sexy films in a row, <laughs> yeah. we have to like take all of them off the list. And yeah. so we'll, we'll see what comes up this time. But. Yeah. Yeah. If, if it's another sex comedy, then we'll we'll re-roll. It's like the guys over at Friendly Fire. If there's three movies from the same war in a row, they have to like take all the movies from that war out for their next pick. I feel like there's some kind of like thing that should happen, though. Like if you say Beetlejuice three times, like something should happen. Oh, oh, OK. What if if we get three movies in a row that are like wicked, wicked similar or by the same director or the same studio, something like that? It's got to be like a go to jail card. Yeah, what, what if like we have to watch a movie that is completely outside the genre? Yeah. Like, like maybe that's when we do romantic comedy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's see what let's see what happens. Let's roll. Let's roll. Uh, Go ahead. We'll get back to it. Hello. Hi. How's it going? I'm currently recording my podcast with Kelly. You're on the air. Who are you talking to? Uh, Eugene. It's my brother. Alex, hey. Hey, what's up? What movie are you guys doing? Um, right now we're doing top five with Chris Rock and Rosario Dawson, and we're actually about to pick next week's movie. You want to be on the list? Oh, sorry. Do you want? Next? Sorry. Do you want to be? <laughs> do you want to help pick wanna, the movie? Uh, we'll just need a number between one and one seventy-nine. Sure. Pick a number between one that? and one seventy-nine. You can't pick the movie. You got to pick a number. Oh, uh, 13. 13, okay. Okay, let's randomize that. Randomize. Oh, it, we didn't take it off. Oh, it's what is it? It's chocolate again. Oh, damn it. Wait, Hold on, you? sorry. Do another number. Pick another number. Tw- 34. 34. Gosh, Alex is so random. Oh, lordy. Alex, we're going to do next week Valentine's Day. Oh, no. <laughs> Wait, that, like, shitty version of, like, the Christmas movie? But yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. the Gary Marshall movie. Wow, don't do that. I was going to no. tell you guys. No, no we have to. I'm sorry. We got to. You picked it. Damn, that sucks. Yeah. Uh, anyways, I got to do this thing real quick. Hold on. Okay, bye. Okay, I'll call you back. <laughs> All right. Well, that was Ryan's brother, Alex. Thank you for that. <laughs> Um, okay, so next time we're doing Valentine's Day. I really wish we were doing this after Valentine's we, Day. Well, well no, after <laughs> um, Love Actually. Uh, yeah. But I, can I tell you? There's several of these. There's New Year's Day, Valentine's mm-hmm, Day, Mother's mm-hmm. Day. Have you seen this movie? No. I did. I saw the first 25 minutes of it, and I'm so glad what <laughs> happened happened. I, I was at the Regal near our college. And I went with the girl I was dating at that point in time to go see this movie on Valentine's Day. It was the worst choice ever, <laughs> mainly because it was super lazy. It was like, what do you want to do tonight? Oh, yeah, it's Valentine's Day. We want to catch a movie. Oh, Valentine's Day is playing. I guess it's. it was almost like a joke. And then we went in and, and it was just couples everywhere. <laughs> and so we sat down. We watched 25 minutes of this movie. I wasn't very impressed. <laughs> Not the power goes out almost as if like the God of the cinema heard my prayer power goes out. They can't get it back on. We're all ushered out of the theaters and they give us tickets to go see another movie another time. Nice. Yeah. Do you remember what else you saw because of that? No. Hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, I do. Um, The date night. There you go. Yeah. Which is a much better movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So can we do that? 
Can we just choose date night instead? Nope. Sorry. Uh, well, fine. All right. Well, if you want to tell us preemptively how much you dislike uh, Valentine's Day, you can go ahead and email us at romcomgents.com or check us out on Instagram and Facebook at romcomgents. Yeah. I don't have anything else to say about that. All right. Well, then I love you. I love you. I hate that we're watching this movie next week. I'm excited. All right. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye. And this is where we will say goodbye. Ryan and Kelly must bid you adieu. Thank you for listening to our review. Rate and subscribe. We'll even take a bribe. So see you next week on the Gentleman's Guide. To rom-coms.